When kids just won't listen, parents often feel stuck between two choices, to give in or get angry. It's exhausting. We give you the top techniques directly from the experts, helping you on your path to a more peaceful, respectful, and joyful life with your kids. All the way from the UK, Rebecca Shake shares with us the Aware Parenting Philosophy. She is a certified level two aware parenting teacher, and her passion lies in helping parents find ways to discipline without the use of punishments or rewards. She taught as a primary school teacher for 17 years before having her first child, and is now the mother of two, ages seven and four. She has a master's in counseling in education and an oncology certified nurse qualification in gentle sleep methods. She's currently counseling and will be working towards BACP accreditation and training to be a sand play therapist. Rebecca leads staff meetings in schools to help teachers look at alternatives to punishments and rewards and leads attachment play workshops regularly. She also offers consultations to support parents with the aware parenting approach. Most recently, she's involved in setting up a gentle play group and a gentle parent and child groups. It's a lot of stuff. She's got a lot of energy, so she can handle it. She also works on the executive council of the International Attachment Network. Rebecca shares plenty of playful anecdotes and examples of activities that she does with her kids to get their cooperation. Today, she also talks about the three reasons why children misbehave and most importantly, how we can use play to heal from stress and trauma. Now here's my conversation with Rebecca Shake. Okay, Rebecca Shake, welcome Hi. to Getting Kids to Listen. Hi, how are you? Oh, fine, how are you? Good, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, it's great um, to be here. Yeah. Uh, what do you love most about working with kids? Um, I think it really is their uh, spontaneity. Um, you know, they just bring something so unexpected to the table and it kind of reminds you about that joy in life. Um, and I, you know, I also think they bring us so much into the present moment. Uh, yesterday I wanted to share the story. I, um, I was, had a really busy day. I was just rushing about like there was no tomorrow and I suddenly just looked and my daughter had arranged, um, we've got, do you know those art figures you get that you used to put, kind of draw, um, so you get the right dimensions and that. So we've got a, kind of got some of those art figures. Okay, yeah, yeah. And I happened to just glance and she had arranged kind of the adult with this child, how holding on, you can actually go onto my Instagram and see the picture, it's so beautiful. Um, so this child was sort of delicately holding on to this, this figure and, and they embraced from the parent. And I just stopped in my track um, and realized how I'd missed so many opportunities that day to just be present and enjoy those, you know, moments. And of course, you know, we have to be realistic, life goes on, but yeah. um, just bringing you into that moment of pure joy. <laughs> um, That's sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you're a parent yourself and you also teach parents. Is there, this might sound like a bit of like the first question, is there kind of a main thing you would say that you've learned from working with kids? Um, I think I thought I knew everything when I was a teacher, um, yeah. I was a teacher for 17 years. Um, but I think it's really from having my own children, I've learned so much. And I think um, it's this thing about learning to be a mother um, that has been profound for me um, and also really starting to work through your own little traumas and stresses and learning about yourself and I think that's really what I've got most out of children wanting to be better so that I can be a better mother and a better support for others and um, kind of connecting with that inner child within myself as well. So you were teaching for 17 years and now you're not doing that 
but you are now doing aware parenting. You're an aware parenting teacher, among other things. What, uh, what does that mean to, to do and where do you do it and what does it look like? Yeah, so when I had my first daughter, I had just finished an MA at the Tavistock, which is um, a psychoanalytical institute in London. And so I sort of getting quite interested in attachments and um, psychoanalysis. Um, and then I had my daughter and I think I just really struggled because I had many of my own traumas come to the surface. And I also think she probably had some birth trauma, we believe. Um, and it was really difficult to parent her. I found the crying really difficult. I, you know, hardly slept. She had reflux, which I actually think was to do with the stress of being born. I think she had lots and lots of cortisol, raised cortisol. And so I, um, it's a long story to get to there. Um, I just didn't know what to do. And, you know, getting all this wrong information. I really truly feel it was wrong and you know your child will manipulate her don't let her sleep on you she'll sleep on you forever and all of that sort of stuff and I just found it quite difficult to trust myself and I went to South Africa to visit my mum because I'm originally South African and a lovely lady handed me Dr. Salter's book called The Aware Baby mm. and I read it and I just felt like coming home. I felt um, that it made so much sense because it's based on research, developmental psychology, neuroscience. It, it just resonated. And then I, I felt quite passionate about it. So I read all of her books who are all amazing. Um, and then I became a teacher and I'm a level two teacher. But basically Aware Parenting is developed by Dr. Salter, who is a developmental psychologist in, um, in the US, she lives in California, and she also struggled when her children were born, and so she decided to write her own books, and she started the Aware Parenting Institute, which, um, you know, there's teachers in over 17 countries now. But just in a nutshell, her philosophy really um, supports you to, number one, um, support attachment style parenting. So this is just the deep connection we have with our children. You know, I think natural childbirth is possible and breastfeeding, all that stuff, but it's not always possible. Um, but just simply this relationship, this ongoing, beautiful, attuned relationship we have with our children. The second part of her philosophy is about non-punitive discipline, which I'm also very passionate about because as a teacher, I used rewards and punishments, just thinking that's what you did until I came across another way of doing it um, to just truly intrinsically motivate our children and, and look below the surface. Like, why are they behaving in this way? Like, what is the real reason? Um, looking at needs and looking at feelings. And then thirdly, um, a really important part of her philosophy as well is really understanding that crying and tantrums and laughter are children's natural way that they heal from stress and from trauma, but also can support behavior, which is amazing. Um, so yeah, just wonderful ways that can support our parenting. And the other thing that's also amazing about aware parenting is it's not only about parenting, it's about looking deeper into our own childhoods, our own traumas and working through those so that we can um, be better equipped to support our children in this way. Wow, so it covers a lot of different bases there. Yeah, it really does. I'm most <laughs> curious about that healing, the crying and tantrum stuff. Um, just because I've, I've done a lot of my own research on the attachment stuff and the, and the rewards and punishments. And I'm, I find it harder to communicate, to talk about what a tantrum is, what it means, what crying is, and really trying to empathize with a one-year-old is, is uh, difficult for everybody, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, just for me, understanding that it's a physiological process is pretty amazing. And actually, Dr. Salter talks about um, a man who researched tears. Um, he's called Dr. Frey, and actually she's met him before. He said he's a really interesting, quirky man. Um, but he investigated sort of the chemical components from your tears and tears for, you know, crying if you cut an onion to tears that you have from sadness to tears of anger will all have a completely different, different chemical component. So you're actually just literally releasing 
um, the stress hormones from our body when you're crying. And it's just about supporting our children through that. Um, so, you know, getting down to their level if they're having a massive tantrum. Um, also, she talks a lot about the sort of balance of attention. So when children sort of have stresses in their life or trauma um, and they need to release it, what you want to do is sort of allow them to have a little bit of that stress with a little bit of the safety and maybe the laughter and the crying that then allows them to, to release it. So for example, let's say your child has separation anxiety. You might initiate some hide and seek games with them. Um, and if it's really huge for them, you would make, be careful not to make that space between finding them in the game too much because then that's going to be overwhelming. But you also don't want to find them too quickly because then that's not going to support them to, to work through that, that issue. So you kind of need to work out with your child how you can balance that. Um, but the healing really comes in the crying that may come up. You know, maybe that was a bit too scary and they like a big cry and they found you again. Or maybe they find you and a whole lot of laughter comes out. They're like, yeah, I found you. So all that sort of laughter or crying or tantrums can profoundly help them release the trauma or the stress. Um, but there's so many layers to it. Um, there's also, can I just share one other thing yeah, as well? Um, so Dr. Salter also talks about the broken cookie moments. And I think that's maybe what you were touching on a bit then. Like, you know, our children are just falling on the floor for absolutely no reason. Mm. Like you've literally given them a cookie and it's broken in half and they've lost their marbles. You know, they're screaming, they're shouting at you, they hate you, life has ended. Um, and Dr. Salter talks about this as being just an opportunity for children to release accumulated stress. So perhaps they've had a day where, you know, they've woken up, it's locked down, and they, it's just missing their friend, and they thought they were gonna have a Zoom call at 10 o'clock, and then their friend can't make it. Um, and then it's, it's you know, they, you wanna go for a walk, but they're really scared, and they don't wanna go outside, and then you kind of say, we have to go, and there's all this uncomfortable feelings, and. And then, um, you know, their sibling hits them on the head. This is a really bad day. And uh, you make them dinner and it's the worst dinner ever. They don't want to have it. And then right at the end, you say, oh, gosh, well, we've got a cookie for you. And you give them this cookie. It breaks in half and everything comes exploding out. And basically, it's an opportunity for all these built up emotions to come releasing. Um, and our, it's our job to simply listen to this huge, big emotion and eruption that comes out. Um, but, you know, worth adding that that's not easy right. um, to listen to, to, you know, the huge emotions. But understanding where it may be coming from is, is quite helpful. Yeah. Um, and I'm just a million questions about different instances and when you know how we listen how how long we listen when we're i mean obviously like you say it's hard to do in the moment but it's also you start to wonder am i am i enabling something in the in the child am i am i giving too much sympathy and and not letting them experience the stress and all of that so uh, it's a big conversation there um do you have any insight on on navigating on navigating that when it's when you feel like maybe this is too much or maybe this is not enough and where that balances? I think um, you know Dr. Salter talks about um, the sort of healthy release and and actually as much as they need needs to come out. But you know I think it's it's useful to think about Dr. Salter's. Um, three reasons why children misbehave um, and actually that can really help you to not only um, you know have to deal with the crying and, and raging because that's an important part of it obviously but then there's also you know play that you can do with them there's preventative measures there's so many things that we can do to to support um, our children um, I kind of think I've lost the question that you were asking there. Um, would just, you mind just repeating it? It was a vague question. I was just wondering what else you had to say about finding that line. Mm. You know, a lot of times we feel like we're not doing enough and other times we feel like we're doing too much. Yeah. And I, I know there's not, not a simple 
clear answer to that, but I am curious yeah. about those, those three reasons that children misbehave. Yeah, I think that was sort of um, on the right track. So basically, um, Dr. Salter says there are three reasons and I've never found um, it to be any other reason other than these three. So the first reason is that children have an unmet need. So um, these can be very basic like food or thirst or connection. But then there's lots and lots of other needs that perhaps, um, you know, we might not realise. I mean, at the moment, um, a need to um, be with others. Um, my four-year-old isn't as bothered about it, but my seven-year-old is really missing that time with, with other people and community. And um, the thing is, if you meet that child's need, the, the behaviour disappears. Um, I've seen it over and over again. I mean... Um, you know, especially with hunger, you know, they sort of really ratty all over the place. You give them some food and, it, and, it's, and it's gone. Um, but sometimes it's not so easy to figure out what that need is. Um, and often it does come down to connection. Um, if you are ensuring you have lots of connection time, then often the behaviours do disappear as well. Um, the second reason is they lack information. So I think that's a really big one at the moment. Children don't know when they're going to go back to school, they don't know when they're going to see their friends again, they don't know when they can stop this two meter rule, which is just, you know, it goes against everything in our bodies, like my daughter just wants to hug everybody she sees. Um, there's so much that will cause our children to behave in unwanted ways and they don't go, oh mom, you know, I really don't understand why I can't do the two meters. Instead, they start doing irritating behavior, they don't want to listen to you, they start fighting with their siblings, they speak to you in a rude tone, it manifests in ways which we may not connect with the actual reason. Mm. So that's the second reason is the lack of information. And then the third reason is children have this need to heal. And the way they do it is through the crying, the raging and the laughter. And I say the laughter because there is hope. Um, it's not all about listening to, to the tears and the tantrums. Um, I think I was chatting to you about a little example, um, but maybe now's a good time to share it with the tears yeah. and the tantrums and this, this, re this third reason. Um, so today I got home and I, I go every Friday to shop for my mum and um, I happened to go one of the shops and there's some clothes open and I was like, oh my goodness, I haven't seen clothes to shop for for ages and it's quite warm here. So I thought I'll quickly pick them up some summer jammies. Um, but my eldest daughter also doesn't have any clothes because she's, uh -huh. she's eight, um, or she's seven, turning on to eight, she's, she takes out eight clothes. Um, so I thought, oh, I'll just get her a little dress as well. Um, and when I got home, my youngest daughter went, where's my dress? But obviously she's four and she's got a whole wardrobe full of dresses from her sister's hand-me-downs. Um, anyways, I didn't really take much note. I uh, went downstairs, um, they, I bought them some ice buns, so they had some ice buns. And then um, she wanted to wash her hands because she had sticky ice icing all over them. And I said, no, remember, we're not washing them in that sink at the moment because it's just high up and the water goes everywhere. And we, but literally the toilet is right, you know, probably the same distance. Um, and she can reach into it herself. And she said, no, I'm not. <laughs> um, and she threw herself on the floor and she said, you'd come and help me now. Um, and I was still unpacking from my grocery shop as well. I said, no, I'm, I'm not going to help you. The toilet's just over there. And um, she kept sort of throwing herself. She was real tears were coming out. She was really upset. And I said, I'm really sorry. I'm, I'm so sorry you're so upset about this, but we're still not going to um, wash them over there. And I sort of just carried on unpacking. Um, and she went on for quite a long time, about 15 minutes while I was unpacking. Um, when I finished unpacking, I sort of just came down and sat next to her and she said, wash them now. Um, and so I said, no, I, I'm not washing them there. Um, and so then she did the sort of caterpillar crawl all the way to the, um, the little toilet that's, that's sort of just around the corner. I mean, I, I don't know how I knew, but she just kind of flick with her foot, which I just was this maybe it was good achievement I don't know um, I knew she was ready for me to come and help her and I said would you like me to come and help you clean your hands yes and so I cleaned her hands anyways she skipped off upstairs as happy as Larry um, and in my head I, I 
remembered that moment with the dress and I think it was actually a bit of that broken cookie moment where she needed an opportunity to let out these big feelings of probably jealousy that her sister got a dress and she hadn't got the dress um and it's you know as you were saying that intense time when you're stuck in this tantrum and you're like oh gosh I thought this was going to ever end you know the whole of unpacking the groceries it was exhausting and then and then it did and she was so happy so kind of recognizing that third reason is is vital for our children to be able to move on from from the yeah. behavior so that went on for over 15 minutes yeah 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 and, and my eldest daughter's quite good at doing hours not hours but an hour <laughs> right right and so in your mind uh, i'm guessing your your impulse is to kind of jump in and you know that's kind of the base impulse is I don't know, jump in and, and either throw your own tantrum or solve the problem. Um, what do you have any tips for how it is that you're able to just re refrain from, from engaging? Um, well, I mean, I suppose you are engaging in the sense that you are just being present to it. Um, I think just by, I mean, it's, it's much easier for me to not get caught up in the storm with my four-year-old, with my seven-year-old, I find it a bit harder because mm. she triggers me a little bit more. So, yeah. you know, with those moments, I've got to take a deep breath. Um, I like Dr. Christian Neff's work and, um, breathing in compassion to yourself and breathing out empathy having like little tools in your box to just bring you present. Um, I love Peter Levine's work with um, or orienteering. So, you know, it just takes a second, just feel your feet on the ground, notice something in the room, notice your breath and just bring you a bit more presence. And so that you're not thinking this is anything about you, that you don't have to right. fix it. You don't have to change it. Um, and knowing it will end is really helpful that just being present um, I do also look for moments where my child might be ready to move on from the tantrum I mean I know Dr Salter you know really encourages us for children to let it out but there's sometimes a moment where you know they've looked at something and they say you know the light is yellow and then I go oh, yeah the light is yellow so you can kind of then join in the conversation there um, when they're ready to move on you know they, they sort of show you that they're ready to move on but I think trying to understand that if you don't sit through those big emotions there they are going to need to come out they don't um just suddenly go away um they they and you know then later on it might come out of hitting the sibling on the head or yeah. it might come out in you know not wanting to go to bed or perhaps not being able to go to sleep so it's kind of supporting them as much as possible to let it out and resourcing yourself is is vital you cannot listen to these tantrums if you're tired if you're irritable if you're stressed um you know and being kind to yourself because i can't always listen to those those tantrums today just happen to be resources i saw my mom and um it's a beautiful day in london and yeah that makes it a bit easier as well hmm. Hmm. i have a lot of questions about that but we don't have to go into too much detail about that specific tantrum. I, it's just that you painted such a good picture and now I want to know every little detail, but um, maybe, maybe we should not get into every little in and out. Um, I think it's a nice example because um, I, it was quite a short tantrum. I know 50 minutes sounds like long, but actually it was quite short and it was so lovely to, it was hard to sit through that process, but to actually go through it and then to see the outcome, to know that I didn't need to say, um, you know, is this because you were jealous because your sister got a dress? It just, I, I, in my head, I presume that's what it was about, but it's, it's gone, it's right. moved on. And she, you know, her sister's wearing a dress and she hasn't said anything and nothing's come up from her. Um, and sometimes actually it is important to say the thing. I might give another little jealous example if that's okay. Um, I was with my daughter the other day and my eldest daughter and it was early in the morning, she always wakes up really early. Um, and we were just been reading, having a lovely time. And then her sibling came down and knocked on the door. And what had been a lovely moment just turned pear-shaped. 
Um, she just was, oh gosh, really difficult to be around, itchy, scratchy, everything was wrong, I don't want this. Oh gosh, I just wanted to go back to how it was. Um, and I just was like, you know, what's going on? What do you need? Um, you know, what's, what's changed? I just was trying to figure it out. And suddenly I said, uh, just kind of quietly to her, are, are you jealous because Subba's come in and we were just having a nice time? Yes. <laughs> so sometimes also just naming, it can be really helpful, but we don't always have to name it. We don't always have to talk about it. Sometimes just releasing it is all that's needed. How would you, as someone who teaches other parents, when they're, when they're coming to you with their four-year-old's tantrums, um, how do you approach that? I mean, because there's so much, there's so many factors, there's so much going on. Where do you start and how long does it, how long does it take to, to kind of unpack even one event and then help somebody with their, how they'll approach it in the future? Yeah, I think I just always, um, share Dr. Salter's three reasons why children misbehave and keep talking about them, you know, because it, when I first um, did the um, aware parenting um, approach, I had it up on the fridge, the three reasons. Now they're just, you know, in my head and it's one of what I know, but just constantly, um, you know, thinking about and bringing you back and reflecting. And Dr. Salter also um, says it's really important. It's not just about your children's needs. It's about our needs. So when she, she has a little three-step technique where you kind of go through and you go, okay, so could it be one? Could it be two? Could it be three? Could it be all three? Sometimes it fits into all three of those categories. Um, and then once you've ascertained what it is, she suggests you say how you feel about it. Like, you know, perhaps you hate your child because of it it's bringing up really strong angry emotions and it's really good to be able to express that so i suppose when i'm supporting parents i really encourage them to tell me how they feel about those those tantrums mm. um, and those feelings and then the, the other aspect is also to um then think about our own childhoods and you know I, i'm training to be a counselor but i always say i'm not a counselor but i'd really encourage you to what happened when you were younger and your mom um, shouted at you? How did they discipline you? Um, how did you feel? Um, kind of looking at all those feelings around crying because that's gonna come up how we then um, interact with our children or how we deal with their, their crying. Um, because obviously, you know, with our knowledge of attachment, we're also going to be, um, you know, dealing with our relationship in the way that we were attached. Um, but also balancing these needs. So, you know, okay, so let's say my child isn't having enough. I think the reason is she's not having enough connection time. So how can I meet her need? But how can I meet my need for connection? Am I, you know, getting enough of my friendships um, needs connected? Am I having enough time with my partner? So kind of making sure both needs are met in the process. It's not just about your child's needs. It's also about your needs. I like that idea of of um, just remembering how how much how a child handles a situation can trigger for us our how how it was handled for us or how we handled it um, and really their every every emotional experience they have we remember some somewhere I mean it's even if we haven't had a rolling around on the floor tantrum in, you know, however many years, it's still, it's still in us, and and that experience um, is in us. So it can be kind of sneaky how it, how suddenly you're in this place that you thought that you were over thirty years ago, um, and that is where you know more more counseling might be helpful to people, but. But you're saying yeah. that, that we can all we can all look at it and at least uh, observe how we're connecting. Mm. I think it's really um, vital, actually, for parents to research a little bit about their own attachments 
and just to think, you know, when I, you know, if you go into, I always use this example, when you go into a child's room and it's untidy and you're suddenly like so angry, like you've literally got smoke coming out of the ears, like the level of your anger to what's actually unfolding before you is, if it's not in balance, um, I think that's probably an indication that those feelings are coming from, from somewhere else. Um, and you know, yes, they can be triggered from very young. I mean, I've got an example of my mum this this lockdown. Um, I mean, it's not a angry trigger, but she had a um, you know a, a memory brought to the surface um, from when she was four years old because she's got polio, and mm. she was in the iron lung for six months. So she was separated. I know, separated from her parents for six months, just with a glass wall. And from the first lockdown visit, where I had to be separated from her, she went. I've just remembered being in the eye lung. So these memories are so primal, they're, they're stuck in there and us wow. and we don't realize it, they just come to the surface. Um, so I think I, it's catching that, that, that moment where you think, gosh, is this really about this? Like, why am I feeling so angry over, you know, they've just, you know, spilt a bit of water on the table. We can mop up the water, but yes, I'm like, you've spilled the water on the table. You know, something's come up in you. Probably you're, parent may have you know got really angry one day but even by accident they may have just got a shock because the bottle fell over or something but that memory does get get stuck in us mm-hmm. and i think that's why the work of peter levine is also so amazing with somatic, i don't know if you know somatic experiencing and um healing of trauma on a real sort of body level mm-hmm. which is very much linked to dr salter's work with, with children we'll uh, we'll put links to all of these all these names in our show notes so that people yeah. can follow up more on it. Um, yeah. These are doctors and people who are writing a lot of books. They're not just your, they're not just your average, you know, person with an opinion. No, no, very, very um, well researched and now also being confirmed by neuroscience and the, you know, the work of Dr. Stephen Paul just with the polyvagal theory and all of that. So it's, it's real um, evidence-based now, I feel as well. Is there something about aware parenting that distinguishes it most sharply, uh, a sharper contrast from the so many other kind of schools of thought are being advertised around different parenting styles? Yeah, I think there's lots now that have very similar elements. And I know hand-in-hand parenting is very, very similar. Um, and, and, you know, their speciality is really listening partnerships, which is so amazing to be able to share and listen and support each other in this way. And, you know, Dr. Salter does, um, at the end of most chapters, say we should find people to listen to us. So I think that's probably um, very similar in many respects. Um, but I think one of the things that I love about aware parenting is Dr. Salter's work on attachment play. So she wrote a book called Attachment Play. Mm-hmm. And what she does is she brings therapeutic play schools to our everyday lives. Um, and, you know, of course, if your child is having something too severe or it's too much for you to cope with or it's triggering you, we should always speak out um, support. There's amazing play therapists out there. Um, but I just think it's phenomenal that she has given us this opportunity to not only um, can play help heal sort of stress and traumas in children's lives, but it can also um, support behavior. And I think that's kind of a real stark difference. I know Hand in Hand also shares lots of amazing play ideas, but um, I think that is a wonderful resource of Dr. Salter's work. Uh, in a picture of what that really looks like, um, what is attachment play? What does it look like in, in someone's home? So, yeah, it's, it's so huge. So in her book, she says there's nine forms of play. Um, and the most important in a way is her non-directive play. Um, this is a therapeutic play school that, you know, that you'll go to a therapist and they'll play with you. But she suggests that if you open up a space to play in this way in your homes, you can really move mountains. Um, and I've seen it myself. So non-directive play is when you say to your children, right, I've got 30 minutes for you now. 
and you give it a special name. Um, we call it mummy and my child's name or mummy and other child's name. And um, they get to choose exactly what they want to play. Um, and actually during this lockdown, my husband and I have been really, really, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like serious about it. We have locked it down. So every morning between half past eight and half past nine, we, I have half an hour of one child and he has half an hour of the other child and we swap over. And it's just been amazing. It supports sibling rivalry. It helps um, with behavior, it helps with listening. Um, and also they bring little stresses to it. So, um, you know, they may have had a little, let's say they went to the dentist and it was all a bit traumatic. They may in that game say, oh, let's play dentists. And so they'll bring these little traumas and stresses to the table. Um, I always give the example of um, the escalator. Um, my daughter, when she was about four, I had a baby on me and for some reason I couldn't hold her hands and I went down the escalator with the baby and left my four-year-old at the top. And I was just like, oh gosh. Um, and a lovely lady brought her down. Um, but you know, we all were a bit in shock. Um, and anyways, about four months later, I said, oh, I've got some time for mummy time. Um, would you like to play? And we were playing something. And then suddenly she said, let's play escalators. Yeah. And she just played this game where I had to leave her, she had to leave me, we came down together, um, just in the lounge. And in my head, I was like, oh, it's probably yeah. her bringing that little stress to heal to, to the play. Um, so it kind of serves two, two purposes, to kind of meet this need for connection, which is often the reason why they're behaving in unwanted ways, uh, but also an opportunity to bring little things that they may be struggling with, um, especially if there's been a birth of a sibling. Um, my eldest played being a baby every single day for two years in that special playtime. Mm. Oh. Um, so that's kind of one type of play. I've actually got a free workshop this Saturday. If anybody wants to join, I can give you the link afterwards. Yeah, um, please. That sounds great. Uh, on, I mean, I'm just such a huge fan of of that notion and that, that kind of movement of of giving kids back their, their free play, their unstructured time and mm -hmm. um, letting them direct it and and not only just turning them loose but you're you're playing too um yeah it is quite specific this sort of play and it really is it also has a time frame because you um often will find at the end it's a separation so it may bring up huge emotions so you could have a massive tantrum afterwards right. Um, it's also there's a time where you have gone to the loo, you put away your mobile phones, you are literally engaged and it's non-directive in the sense that, you know, if they say something is blue and it's red, you don't say anything. It's really about being as present as possible, which can be really, really hard to do as well. Yeah, well, um, something that you're doing, you, you're making time for it every day and, you know, 30 minutes, I don't know, that might, might sound like a lot, might sound like a little, but... The fact is you're you're doing it every day and so it becomes a space that is a reliable thing i think a lot of us we're we push all of our we put all of our fun on one saturday one day a week and then you know when everyone's not happy it's like hey i took you to the beach two weeks ago why aren't you you know what's going on what more can i do and um obviously there's a huge difference yeah, there really is with this little play. And it's been just amazing, you know, from me jumping on the trampoline for half an hour, which is really hard when they both choose it, but I've got an hour of jumping on the trampoline, um, to my four-year-old wanting me to teach her to knit, to, um, you know, playing Playmobiles, Sylvanians, cooking, um, you know, all sorts of little games. And, you know, social distancing games coming into it, so some of the stresses. Um, and in that time, I would say it is much more worthwhile than all those amazing activities that we plan. Um, that it fills such a deep need for connection that then it impacts on the rest of the day, really. Um, and especially their behavior and just, you know, a space to bring those little issues that they need to bring. And just to mention too, it's not always fun and fun and rosiness. Yeah. Um, my, my, Elle's daughter often is itchy scratchy in our 30 minutes and she's like I don't want to play with you I don't yeah. like you mm -hmm. um and her 30 minutes are her 30 minutes so I said well I'll, I'll still be with you I can see you're really angry with me right now and I just 
still dedicate that 30 minutes and often afterwards <laughs> she's as happy as Larry. Do you, um, do you sit with her? I mean are you in the room or so you're yeah. in there reading a book and just hanging out? No I don't read I'll just be present and I'll try yeah. and find a way in. Um, I you know I've tried to you know, maybe bring her more presence you know let's see there's something in this room that we can spot that we like and she's still not entering in um I you know we've been doing this lovely grounding things where we feel our toes on the ground so we like push our big toe and then our second toe and she really likes that so sometimes I'll just find a way way in to try yeah. and move around or sometimes I'll just be with her yeah I can see you're really angry and I'll just sit with that for, for a little bit um, but I won't do anything for myself because this is her time um right yeah i was i was imagining if i was in that situation maybe this maybe you wouldn't advise this but you know if there was let's say we normally play play-doh at that time i can imagine if the child insists on not engaging with me well, i can play play-doh on my own you know like i would i would actually kind of enjoy that i don't know if that would if that would mm -hmm. be outside of your of your recommendation there but um to, yeah, to, I mean, to say, well, I'm going to open the toy and have the same fun we were having a week ago. You're welcome to join me. Please do. I don't know. Yeah, I think I was thinking of uh, incidents where we haven't actually had anything out. And uh -huh. so I've just been present with her. But um, the other day she had a little dog. And so I was like, should we take it for a walk? But actually, it, it was more the connection that got us going than, than the toy. Right. Um, so, yeah, but I, you know, if you've got Play-Doh there, say, oh gosh, I'm just going to see if I can build a really big monster. Oh gosh, can you help me? How are we going to do that? You know, totally try and get them to come in there. Right, right. Um, but it depends, you know, when you think about the sort of nervous system, if they are, you know, that part of the brain has taken over and there's no thinking, no matter what you do there is not going to work. They almost just need to work through that big emotion before they can access your 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 invitation in a way and that's why the body things are quite good because orienting that sort of looking for something actually moves your neck helps you to sort of regulate you're noticing something which is bringing you present and getting your brain working again so maybe sort of some more movement activities may may help you've named a lot of different authors um, researchers do you have a favorite resource that's not a book do you have a favorite uh yeah, multimedia resource, a podcast or a, or a video series that you like? Um, what for parenting? I'm trying to think. I mean, I really love um, listening to podcasts, but it's an aware parenting podcast. Um, so um, there's a lovely lady in Australia called Marion Rose and another lady called Lael Stone, and they've started an aware parenting podcast. And for me, it's just a great way to dip into it's got like hitting and biting um it's got um sleep issues it's yeah. got um self-care it's, it's so many things in there so i think that's often my go-to um and then i also really love the work of dr neufeld so i will often pop on to listen to to his work and just really remind myself about attachment and um this relationship this ongoing relationship that we're working on not only with our children but with ourselves that's great we will put the links to the authors and the books as well i just i like to see what people are doing on with the new new technology as well yeah yeah um, but also when you said resource that wasn't sort of the technology thing i was thinking um we've got like things at home um mm -hmm. I did some children's yoga teaching at once and we've got like a Hoberman sphere, which is like a big ball you can breathe with. And then, you know, we've got lots of like singing bowls where you can tap and calm down and, you know, and um, I've got scary spiders and scorpions lying around. So when um, we didn't really get on to, to, I wanted to share a bit more about the play actually. Um, so my, you know, if you've been a bit yelly or at the cross with your children or maybe use your power over them, you know, they'll often just pick up a spider and scare me with it. Or they, they like to pretend they're sticking it up my, my bra strap. And, and then I go, what is, what, what is it? Ah, and I freak out. And they just laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh. And all the sort of laughter that comes out kind of releases the sort of feelings underneath the scaring you. Yeah. Um, you scaring them 
um, yeah, because this, you know, play is just so, so phenomenal. Um, you know, if your children aren't listening to you, you know, start doing some power games. It's probably because they're actually feeling powerless. Mm. And so they're trying to gain some power in their little worlds. Then they're like, well, I'm not going to listen to you. You know, get them on your back and say, let's play the horseback ride game. And so they're on your back. And if they tap the shoulder, you've got to go that way. If you tap the shoulder, you've got to go that way. If they tap your head, you've got to go forward. And my daughter loves, keep, she keeps tapping one shoulder. And I go around and around and around in circles. And so they, um, they are kind of filling their power cup and when we do it through play you will find it then you know um translates into the rest of the day and into their behavior into their cooperation and things like that nice and you're getting all your exercise for the day it sounds like it's even if you are stuck in the house oh yeah absolutely yeah yeah absolutely and you know and rolling mummy for the bed games are lovely my, my two when they were younger was their best game in the world put loads of duvets down and then you go oh, i bet you can't roll me off the bed and they're like fushy and you give them a little bit of like you know so they can't and then you get them to roll you off the bed and you go oh my goodness you're so strong yeah um and so, yeah, yeah if you can if you can get down on the floor and play with them now then you know maybe when when it's grandkids you'll be able to do the same you know if you just keep reminding yourself that that that's where all the action is 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 down low yeah yeah, yeah. exactly yeah and, and where, physical connection i think yeah, yeah. Where, where can we learn more about you and what you have to offer um so i have my website um www.flourishingchildhood.com um and also on instagram flourishing childhood and facebook um and yeah i offer consultations my favorite thing to do is i offer a weekly nurture package which is um where parents can check in for 30 minutes every week and we you know we can talk about perhaps you're having problems how we could support you using play how can we um you know work through those tantrums and deal with mm -hmm. how to support you to help your child through those um so yeah, I really enjoy doing those. Nice. Um, and then I also run lots of workshops and obviously they seem to have moved all online now. So I've yeah. mentioned I've got my free workshop this Saturday on play. So you're welcome to come and join. Great. Yeah. yeah. And this is, you're working with the parents directly. You're not, I mean, they're not bringing their kids onto the, onto the calls usually, right? No, I really suggest not to because it's really nice. I always have a, you know, an opportunity to share how we feel about playing and you want to be able to say, I absolutely hate playing or right, right. Oh, babies is the worst, you know. Right. So um, I do actually, I have been running a parents and child workshop where we come along and we try all lots of therapeutic games and then we connect afterwards, but obviously we can't do that at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, so I do encourage you to not have the children around so you can just share openly and honestly. Um, unless of course it's your breastfeeding and it's under six months old. Sure. Yeah. Nice. Um, what uh, what did we not cover? I know you have so much to share, and I think that's awesome. Um, is there anything that you wish that we got around to in this conversation before we say goodbye? Um, I think just again going. Um, you know, there were so many things to share with play. Um, I'd encourage you to get Dr. Salter's book called Attachment Play, mm. where she outlines the nine forms of play. Um, and just remembering that this is children's language. So you can nag and moan and, you know, try and force them to do it. But if you can try and engage in a more playful way, that's going to make life easier. I mean, the toothbrushing games have just been amazing. My daughter um, has, oh, it's been such a struggle to brush teeth. But we've got, um, she absolutely loves the I don't want to go in their game. So I get the toothbrush and I go, oh. I don't want to go in there. It's disgusting. And I go inside and she laughs and laughs. And I'm like, oh my goodness, you didn't eat a banana today. Oh, it's all mushed in there. It's revolting. And I just go around her mouth. It's all done. She has fun. It's better than nagging and moaning. And actually, it's quite fun as well. I like making up all different things. Um, and then at the end, we always go, do I have to go in there tomorrow? She goes, yes, you do. Mm -hmm. And it's just a much more enjoyable way of, of getting things done um you know and so yeah i just think that's just a wonderful resource of dr salters and just to mention i don't find play particularly easy i just know how supportive it is and how much more connecting it is so i try and resource myself as much as possible by 
you know, taking care of myself, trying to do those mini things for myself and macro things for myself. Otherwise, we won't want to play. It's it's not yeah. possible. Yeah, it requires some some health and flexibility and <laughs> and mental flexibility and um, the right you know positive mindset that really really calls for a lot from people. But yeah. I love I love the idea of you've got it on the schedule. You know, for you all, it's it's a daily practice, a daily habit. It's just like just like having having dinner, you know, and that I just think that's a, a brilliant way to approach it and to carve out time for it to make it this is a serious thing, serious it's serious playtime that, that that everyone needs. Yeah, I think the non-directed play is so important. And then all the other plays that you can bring in in the course of the day can just mm. shift things so dramatically. You know, the other day, the two, were, they were arguing about something and I just, you know, the energy to mediate or anything. I said, oh, right. It's kind of just, I felt they need to get some energy out. I said, who wants to be a wheelbarrow? And we just started playing wheelbarrows. As I did for three minutes, they were as happy as Larry afterwards. So sometimes just like, you know, engaging in a play activity for a couple of minutes can just shift everything and move energy and, um, but I know how hard it is to want to engage in that when you're like, oh gosh, not with this again. Right. Um, yeah. All right. We are going to put all the links to all your stuff. Thank Flourishing you. Childhood. That's, that's the That's the website. That's the Instagram, uh, Facebook. Everyone can find you. Rebecca Shake. And the last name is S-H-E-I-K-H. It's been wonderful having you thanks for thanks for all the info and um i hope that people are able to find you and able to um soak up some more because clearly you have a lot a lot of great stuff to share yeah appreciate it yeah thanks for your time and um for opening this up to more people so that's amazing thank you try it and to all of our listeners we'll see you next time thanks for stopping by thank you all right I'm going to hit stop.